eldest boy! <laughs> I am the eldest boy! This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Just hold off a second for that plane. I'll let you know when it's on. Um, when Max was on, um, was it last week? Uh, whenever it was. Yeah. Planes started flying overhead immediately because he's in Brisbane. <laughs> That's why we're trying to fight him. Yeah, well, I guess he hasn't fixed it yet. <laughs> Terry will get onto it. Mm. Uh-oh, everybody. Who's that? It's Michael the Griff Griffin. Oh, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, look, I am on the show. Well, you know, when you, you know, when you listen to Chapo Trap House and the producer comes on yeah. and it's like, oh, no, it's one of those episodes. Oh, it's a bad news. Do you mean Chapo Shithouse? Oh, Chapo Shithouse. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you saw that the more friendly Geordies. <laughs> so much more. So much fucking more. The proxy war between Labour and the Greens has carried out on our Patreons continues. <laughs> people, a bunch of people were tweeting me. So friendly Geordies. You remember Friendly Geordies did a video about us. We did a reaction for our Patreon. Uh, so he, and in his video, he was responding also to our live ep in Brisbane. Shout oh, out speaking that. of we which, did- can I just can I just say, uh, yes. no one else had the balls to say it to you, including Max. So I just want to say it's really not appropriate to say that about the Prime Minister to make a joke oh, about him. They, I'm you sorry, know, very sorry. Wouldn't say that about John Howard, would you? So you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I would actually. John Howard is a dumb cunt too. They're all dumb. Cunts. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> so then we do the re- reaction for a Patreon episode. We then unlock mm-hmm. the Patreon episode. And then it seems yep. that Friendly Geordies has recorded a response to our response. Apparently it goes for three and a half hours and mm. you have to pay to access it. Well, I mean, I, I, I do feel like, you know, some people were saying, you know, they were, call, were saying that's pathetic, but like we can't really talk, you know. We, we stretched out his <laughs> 10 minutes into one hour. So he stretches out our hour into three and a half hours. So I think that means we need about 12 to 16 for our response to this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll need to get I, – I can't do it. Life is too short. I'll be – yeah, 75 minutes was too long to talk about Friendly Geordies and charging people money for it was an absolute ripoff. So I refuse to return in kind. I would. I think I would have to pay $5 to Friendly Geordies to listen to the full response. So I'm not going to do that. I don't know if that means we lose or whatever, if that's – if we, we've lost the battle. Well, I, I remember, you know, it was a, a month or two – a few months ago, Friday afternoons I think his videos come out because suddenly – Someone messaged me saying that he was, you know, having a go at us. And it was so exciting. You know, I had to make sure that there wasn't anything that made me feel bad. Uh, he <laughs> criticized our bad YouTube numbers, which made me feel bad. But, you know, that's fair yeah, enough. Yeah, that's fair. And it was quite exciting. You know, I'm a friendly Geordies fan, where I was sort of back in the day. Mm. And, but now it's just, just so exhausting. The idea that he's, I can't believe he's talking about us still. And it's so, like, I, I don't want to listen to any more of him. I don't want to listen to three and a half hours. I don't want to pay for it. I'm, I don't want to hear any more. <laughs> I just, the idea that that's premium content, I guess we put it as a Patreon episode too, so who the hell knows? Yeah, we can't talk. We, we have no leg to stand on. <laughs> Other than us being correct and cooler and more left-wing and more entertaining. Yeah, yeah, making him feel bad. But I do <laughs> want to say if if Friendly Geordies does uh, listen to the show when we talk about him, uh, this is my chance to sort of you know speak to you, uh, Jordan, and say, 2016, we started contacting you to do a RoboDebt video and you didn't do a RoboDebt video until 2023 and that is fucking pathetic and that's why I burned down your house. (laughs) Parody. 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 Satire. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, The Griff. Top 
about the Greens. The Greens are not a party of the environment. They're a party of wealthy inner city elites. And what they're saying is that planes shouldn't fly over the homes of wealthy inner city elites. They should only fly over the homes of working people. We're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcast. That's the Griff, everybody. The producer and funny. Uh, this is Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. We are not Greens shills. We're not a shill for a political party, unlike some people. Uh, it is made possible with the help of the Green Institute. I don't know what people think that involves, but they're nice to us. They don't fund us, for God's sakes. And it's produced by The Griff. Emerald Moon is still on break. This week, I'm going to be joined by a special guest, uh, Gurring Gurring Woman and Yes Campaigner Jade Ritchie is going to be on the show to discuss the state of the Voice to Parliament campaign. She's out there for Yes. We're going to talk about where things are at. Doesn't look good for the polls. We're going to talk about all the nitty gritty uh, stuff of um, surrounding that debate, which is coming up very soon on October the 14th. Uh, Jade's fantastic. She sounds like this. Question number one. Is the Voice to Parliament the Prime Minister's plan? Absolutely not. This has come from Indigenous people. Okay. Number two, is the Uluru Statement from the Heart a 26-page document? It is a one-page document, uh, 440 words. By amending the Constitution, does it insert race into the Constitution? Well, the race power exists in the Constitution and to date it's been used to harm us. This is going to be a great chat, I reckon. Big thank you to our new patrons who uh, sign up to the Serious Danger Patreon for bonus content, like us talking about Friendly Geordies for three and a half hours. Thank you to Ospol Daily, Declan and Solidarity Frog. Patreon.com forward slash Serious Danger AU is where you can sign up, support the show. You can see extra little posts and bonus content from uh, the Griff too. He puts them in there every now and again, which is great stuff. And you help us cover the basic cost of the show. I'm a volunteer. Emerald's a volunteer. We don't make money. This is not our full-time job. Again, unlike some people. Um, so, yes, any support to keep, this, to keep the lights on would be much appreciated. Our latest Patreon episode was focusing on co-ops. What are they? How do they work? Where have they worked around the world? Are they good under capitalism? Question mark. Thanks to Sammy who commented, I'm surprised Emerald didn't mention the co-op law in Italy when she was very briefly mentioned Italy. Emerald has been in Europe and Italy specifically um, lately. Basically, when businesses go under, there is a legal process in place to allow the workers to buy out through social security payments uh, the company and transform it into a workers' co-op. That would be kind of cool. Like if, when Virgin collapse, you get their super money to then democratize and socialize the company with it for the workers and have a work owned. That would be cool. Uh, but thank you very much, Sammy, for listening and for that comment. Appreciate it. Little plug, at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a chance to get some free tickets to come see me live if that's something that you want to do. Uh, see me do a show that's very relevant to the conversation that we're about to have with Jade Ritchie. The Premier and Deputy Premier both jetting north as the debate over airport noise follows them. When I was growing up, I lived next to the Archerfield Speedway. Um, there is going to be noise in a city. Standing by Stephen Miles after he labelled the Greens inner-city wealthy elites, slamming their campaign for late-night flight curfews at Brisbane Airport. What they're saying is that planes shouldn't fly over the homes of wealthy inner-city elites. They should only fly over the homes of working people. Federal MP Elizabeth Watson-Brown has hit back online. I wonder how many more people will suffer from flight noise and that Labor will write off as elites. What I made was a, uh, a an honest reflection of what I think would be a very bad policy for our city. Doubling down. 1996. A vote for this bill 
is a vote for a limit to noise at KSA. There are thousands of residents in my electorate who are still subjected to excessive aircraft noise. This is not a NIMBY attitude. I'm tired of those who say this debate is about inner city people wanting to dump their problems somewhere else. No exemptions for the Olympics or special sporting events. A vote for this bill is a vote for certainty and security for the residents of Sydney. What they're saying is that planes shouldn't fly over the homes of wealthy inner city elites. They should only fly over the homes of working people. Alright folks, the constitutional referendum on the voice to parliament is less than three weeks away now. We've just tipped over to less than three weeks, October 14th. It's happening. Pre-poll opens October 2nd off the top of my head. You can start voting early if you so wish. Um, and we want to dedicate the whole show this week to discussing where things are at, where the yes campaign's at, where the no campaign's at, how things are tracking. And to do that, I'm delighted to be joined by Jade Ritchie. She hails from the Bunda clan of the Gorong Gorong peoples. She's based in Darwin in Larrakee country these days and is a campaigner for Yes23. Hi, Jade. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Tom. I'm joining you from Gadigal country today um, because with 27 days to go, um, I'm out and about. So, um, yeah, I'm usually living <laughs> on Larry Hill land, but at the moment uh, each morning I have to sort of check myself and actually find out whose lands I've woken up on because <laughs> it's a hectic <laughs> campaign. Yes. You must be doing lots of travelling and going to all the different countries. I'm recording this from uh, London uh, in the mother country where, you know, all the problems started. So I've been holding them to account over here and saying, hey, guys, cut it out. Come on. Uh, let's yeah, all vote yes and, and sort this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing, doing what I can. Um, but, yes, it must be a wildly busy time for you at the moment as we're getting close to the actual big date. Can you just briefly tell people a little bit about yourself and how you ended up working on this campaign and, and fell into the Yes Camp and, um, yeah, basically a little bit of background of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Now, listen, your time in London has gotten to you because it's pronounced Bunda. <laughs> you got to bring the, the Aussie accent back into it. Uh, Bunda, Bunda Clan. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I Bunda screwed Clan. it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you picked up an accent already. Um, Bunda Clan of the Gurangaring Nation. And Gurangaring Nation is is, is quite a big nation and um, our lands go, you know, broadly from Bundaberg to Gladstone. Um, pretty lucky because we've got both salt water access and then we have some beautiful freshwater um, rivers and creeks through our country as well. So pretty sport growing up. Um, <laughs> lived on, on that country. It's my grandmother's country. Lived on grandmother's country until I was in my teens, and like most people, you know, wanted to get to the big city. Uh, <laughs> that didn't work out, so I ended up in a small city <laughs> of Darwin, and I'm, I'm I'm growing up my beautiful family there. So, um, which really, you know, that in itself, that's that's probably the easiest way of explaining why I'm on the campaign is. Um, because of my family, so and we can we can dig into this a bit deeper. But I guess you know I, I'm doing this both for the older generation. So I've you know 72 year old father, Aboriginal elder. Um, Dad was really involved in land rights growing up, so I learned mm -hmm. early that to um, to make any progress, you know, to um, to see positive outcomes on the ground, sometimes you really had to get in there and fight for it. Um, you know, having a voice and being heard is something that's incredibly important to him um, to the point where he, he's actively campaigning. I just, just a side story, um, he went to hospital recently. He's got 
quite advanced um, emphysema and he accidentally caught pneumonia, which I didn't even think was possible in the heat of Darwin, but apparently it's not, mm. it's not cold related. Uh, but he, look, he ended up in hospital. He was really, really sick and he had a oxygen mask on. And um, when I walked in there, I could hear the, the doctor saying, look, I'll vote yes if you just be quiet. You've got to stop talking. <laughs> So Van's dad um, tried to the medical staff with the little bit of breath that he had left, convincing them why they needed to vote yes. So what I did, you know, being the helpful daughter I am, I I took him a yes T-shirt. I said, just point, Dad, just point and keep the oxygen on. So, look, I I am doing this because this is what my elders um, want me to do. Um, So, you, you know, this is not a new idea. The concept of of us having a voice and having a say over our own matters, um, you know, this is something that generations before me um, have tried to do, and um, and through their trial and error, we've learnt so many lessons. So very much for the elders, but then also, you know, I'm raising two teenagers in the Northern Territory, so mm. it's a it's both beautiful and terrifying to be raising two Aboriginal teenagers in the Northern Territory because whilst I think I'm giving them the best lifestyle ever and, you know, there's, they're enjoying all the wonderful things about our culture, First Nations culture, Australian culture, the laid-back lifestyle, the beautiful environment, but the stats are telling me, Tom, they're saying when you look at the numbers, it's more likely for my children to go to prison than to go to university. Mm. So that's what I'm up against, you know. So as a mum, you think I've got to get out there and change these things that, that you know, are affecting not just my kids but their entire generation. Every generation's got to do better. And my understanding is you worked as a public servant for, for quite a while. Have you been particularly politically active in the past or is, is the Yes campaign a big change for you for well, getting out there in front of the cameras? Well, yes, this is all certainly a new experience for me, the uh, getting out in front of the cameras um, and being able to um, sort of speak uh, ungagged. Uh, this, is, this is all new. <laughs> Unleashing. Unleashing. The full Jade Ritchie experience. <laughs> there's, there's people in the campaign who, who would probably get a chill run down their spine if they heard that. But, no, look, really um, – this is the first time for me to to use my voice in this way. So certainly as a public servant, like many public servants, I had great intentions and was in there to make a difference and really mm. felt, you know, and definitely had some wins for sure. But I spent a lot of that career, which will span for almost 20 years, spent a lot of that time in youth justice and then more broadly mm. in Aboriginal affairs. And, you know, you just you get overwhelmed. You really get overwhelmed with the size of what you're dealing with, the systems you're working within, the restrictive systems, and um, and it really felt um, quite lonely at times. You know, I, I felt like uh, Aboriginal affairs, unless you were affected personally by it or you worked in it, there was a lack of awareness of really what we're up against, and that. You know, so it was the, the Uluru Statement from the heart, right, you know, that is really a foundation to what we're doing here. When I first heard the Uluru Statement from the heart, what stood out to me was the invitation 
to Australia to walk with us. Mm. And it was, I'd come through the Royal Commission into detention in a youth detention in the Northern Territory. And oh my gosh, that was, that was rough. Mm. And the idea that the rest of the nation could come together with us and try to bridge these gaps and, you know, make real change on the ground. It was a really defining moment where I thought, this is possible. This is actually possible. Mm. To think that the 3% of the population who had nothing to do with designing these systems and certainly don't want to maintain these systems that harm us, to think that Mm. 3% of the population can actually dismantle them, make change, Mm. do all of this, all this heavy lifting on our own, it's overwhelming and it starts to get you down. When you think about the rest of the nation coming with you and helping and doing it together in a unified way, that's when you start seeing possibility and that's what's re-energised me. Yeah, great. Well, I, I guess I'm interested in this week as to how those energy levels are going. There has been, you know, extraordinary amount of uh, voice coverage. There is a rolling out stories. There are many ways in which this feels like the debate is getting particularly nasty and ugly. Uh, we have a consistent polling trend of the yes vote trending down. Depending on how deep you dig into the polls, we're seeing yes in sort of low 40s, no in high 40s but then also having other polling companies tell us that there's a, a very large section of the electorate that is still yet to make up a mind, like a really high 37% un, um, undecided as yet is, was, was, was one figure I heard doing the round. So there's that kind of conversation going around as well. And also last weekend we had national you know, Walk for Yes events right across the country, which really did seem to reboost the Yes campaign as far as I could tell. And as a yes voter, it was nice to see a little bit of positive news and a lot of love and community support and campaigning support yeah, for, for the yes vote getting out there on the streets. So, yes, I'd be interested to see how you're feeling, in, in all honesty, balancing all those things that you're seeing in the media and also your experience on the ground. How are you feeling about the yes campaign um, at the moment? Yeah, look, definitely the weekend was re-energising and, and it is confusing at times because the polls aren't aligning with the people, in in my view. Right. So I'm mm. out there at train stations in the mornings. I'm leafleting. Um, you know, we jumped in a car the other day and went through regional South Australia. We've done the same thing through regional Queensland. I'm in um, the city a lot. I was just at Hobart for the walk. And I am, like, I, I live in Yes T-shirts now and they're great conversation starters. <laughs> I was- <laughs> And what what I um what I'm noticing is like you know I'm getting people like thumbs up and getting people pat me on the back. I got my my first request for a photo the other day, Tom. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, I hopped on a plane and there was a fellow reading uh, the the front page of the Mercury, the Hobart paper, and we we're all on there. So you know, there's there's a lot of people support. I went to the footy, uh, the women's footy in Adelaide the other weekend. And there was just people going about their day in yes t-shirts, you know, like there is mm. a lot of visible support there. Uh, we're doing town hall information sessions where we're getting, you know, hundreds of people coming along and they used to be where we went and just gave everyone information. This is where we told people exactly what the proposal was and talked through what the benefits could be and all that sort of stuff. 
But now they've turned into like supporter gatherings, you know, like there is that much support. We've got 40,000 active volunteers. So when you when you look at all of that, you look at the positive conversations that are happening at train stations, you look at all this visibility, hundreds of thousands of people came out on a Sunday. Mm. It doesn't line up with the polls. So I'm focusing on people, not the polls. But, of course, it does consistently give me that hit of reality that, hey, we have to work so hard for this. We're almost there. But we cannot take any state for granted. We can't take any vote for granted. And, um, you know, and I guess that's why anyone who is a yes voter, that's great. Absolutely. We'll take your yes. We love it. But go and have those conversations as well. You know, you need to be going and giving that information. Whatever helped you decide to vote yes, share that with people. Mm. I think there's too many people sitting there thinking that they need to stay in their lane and not realising this is their lane. This is everybody's lane. This is about everybody, Mm. every voting Australian, every Australian it could be argued. Don't rely on other people to get this done. To to get a successful ref- referendum result, we need everyone on this. Yeah. It's it's interesting, right, because when you talk about people staying in their lane, because obviously with the, you know, the, the most um, recent example of a similar political debate we had was the marriage equality debate, right, in, in 2017, when I think people certainly got their head around the idea that they might have to have a few potentially awkward conversations with some family members or people in their friendship group um, about their support for a yes vote to deliver marriage equality. And those conversations were actively encouraged and I think played a pretty pretty huge role in securing that that supermajority of, you know, over 60% for yes. So people are prepared to take those conversations. Now, I don't know, around the voice, maybe there are some white people who are a bit like, oh, I, I support this and I think it's good, or non-Indigenous people, more broadly, I should say, who say, yes, I support yes, but how do I have a conversation with that about uh, my family members who might not necessarily be convinced? And those might be that an extra step when the question is around First Nations justice and, you know, a race element. People might be a little bit... Um, little bit more resistant to that. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, look at the it is a consideration because I think one of one of the the things in the marriage equality um conversation was, you know, everyone knows someone who is gay. And mm. what we've found, and then look, this surprised me initially, not everyone knows an Aboriginal per- person. <laughs> I wasn't aware yes. of this. You know how I found out, Tom? Uh, we we did a breakfast panel in Queensland and, um, you know, it was a f- few speakers and then it went to question time and this lovely older lady jumped up, she got the microphone, she said, oh, thanks, that was really brilliant, I've learnt so much and I feel so much better understanding that this is a, an advisory committee and, yes, that's all great. And she said, oh, this is so exciting for me today because I've lived here for 40 years she moved from New Zealand. I've been here for 40 years and I've never met an Aborigine. Oh, dear me. Oh, oh no, and she dear. drove home the point. Really, she probably said the word <laughs> Aborigine about seven times, which was, you know, <laughs> I've heard that for a while. Um, oh, okay, but, but she's voting like, yes, okay? We've locked in her yes vote, right? She might not know the right terms, but she's saying yes. Okay, that's good. She's absolutely voting yes. But it actually, it was a really, it was a big learning moment for me. 
Um, yeah. Because she said, you know, I've never met an Aboriginal. I've never worked with one. I've never, never met one. Never. And it went on like this. And I said to her, that I said, well, Jackie, it's your lucky day because there's four of us sitting on the panel. So here you go. <laughs> you're surrounded. You're currently surrounded by them, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a great day for you. Um, but honestly, though, Tom, I had to sit back and think later that day, wow, you know, yeah. I'm in my bubble with my family, you know. I am Aboriginal and I live in the Northern Territory where over 30% of the population is Aboriginal. So, you know, it's it's given me that experience, gave me some insight that there is a real gap here. Uh, we talk about gaps all the time, closing gaps, disadvantaged gaps, um, but there's a gap in information, a gap in mm. knowledge and understanding, and that's really been a part of this, campaign is to um you know some of the challenges have some of the challenge has been to get people to understand why we need to do things differently and why that is so urgent Mm. um a lot of people that i've spoken to on these trails haven't been aware that in communities there are you know up to 200 power outages a day you know, try living with that on, off, on, off. You know, that that affects medications that are kept in fridges. That affects all manner of things, not to mention it's just a really hard way to live. Um, you know, there's communities that at times don't have access to running water. Um, we're still, you know, looking at, at housing crisis where, you know, we talk about the Australian housing crisis and this is a point that I think a lot of people can connect on. Housing is so crucial, obviously, and if you're not in safe, secure, stable housing, that really impacts so many other areas of your life. So, you know, I've worked with young people in uh, in youth justice who, you know, sharing a house with 20 other people, you know, one bathroom. There's a lot of health issues that come with that, but there's some really simple things as well. If you can't get a good night's sleep night after night after night, it affects your well-being, it affects how you act at school and then next minute you're in the youth justice system. You know, so there's Mm. some contributing factors here that unless you're living it, unless you're experiencing it, you're mostly unaware. So I think this this campaign has given us the opportunity to educate, share, learn. You know, I'm learning so much on this campaign from other people and I do believe that we as a nation will be more educated and more empathetic at the end of of this process. Mm. Well, you laid it out um, really clearly in a piece you wrote for The Australian back in June. And again, I think whenever the Yes campaign returns to these ideas of like, you know, relying on the overwhelmingly goodwill and I do think a a, a general, perhaps uh, slightly ignorant, but broadly a, a general awareness of the gap between First Nations people and non-First Nations people in this country. You know, if we if we assume a general level of goodwill amongst the Australian people to recognise that uh, First Nations people, particularly those in, in remote communities, face extraordinary challenges and disadvantage that is messed up, just fucked up, and, uh, and the result of our racist history, if we believe in that, then, uh, you know, identifying the voice as a way to address that is, is on very strong ground, I think. And you laid it out in this piece in The Australian... Uh, you talked about, and there's a slight content warning for this. This does get uh, quite personal here, if you don't mind me reading your own words back to you, Jade. 
My auntie was beaten to death by a partner. She couldn't get the support she needed, nor did her death get the mainstream media attention or public outcry it would have had she been white. My youngest brother was sentenced to two and a half years in jail for a pound of marijuana. When I was pregnant with my first child, I had to buy a maternity funeral dress after a family member's death. I wore that same dress five times before the birth. This is what it means in the Illyrish Statement from the Heart when it talks about the torment of our powerlessness. So laying out there, even just in your personal example within your family, you know, those kind of experiences of the criminal justice system, of violence, um, of a lack of resources to live and live a decent life uh, on your own country or on the continent that where your where your people, um, you know, are home to. Uh, when I hear stories like that, like that really hits you between the eyes, I suppose. Are those the kind of experiences when you talk about them and you're connecting them and drawing a line between that and what you think the voice to parliament can do? Do you see that changing people's minds and, and connecting with people, both white and black? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the things I've done um, in this campaign is I've been prepared to share pieces of myself to illustrate why we need this change and, and again, why it is urgent. An interesting conversation I had with my father about the voice right at, right back at the beginning, um, you know, I started as some of us younger ones do, you know, I was, I was banging on at him, at him about this important thing. And he said to me, listen, Dort, that's what he calls me, short for daughter, obviously. Um, <laughs> listen, Dort, you don't have to tell me. I've lived through this. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's him who faced racist policy and mm. faced child removal had one of his sons incarcerated, lost his sister. You know, it's my dad who has watched how failed policy has failed us. It's dad who has sat in that middle generation and um, and tried to break cycles. And with his permission and the permission of, of, of all the family members that get brought up in my stories, um, we share those stories to illustrate that, you know, if we can have influence over some of these policies, some of these things just wouldn't happen. Mm. And I know that sounds like a simplification, but quite honestly, there are things that when you look at how things have come about, it's like these sliding doors moments. You know, and if this didn't happen, then that wouldn't happen. And you know, like we're we're acutely aware that every family has struggles, and mm. and I think that's one of the reasons why I share some of these stories because I am always looking for common ground with people and things that people can relate to. Everyone can relate to grief. Mm. Everyone experiences grief, so. The idea is that if you understand how grief feels, maybe for a moment it will stop you in your tracks when you look at the suicide rates in Indigenous communities, the infant mortality in Indigenous communities and our shortened life expectancy. So think about grief and how much grief we experience when we've got those statistics. You know, that maternity dress that I talk about in the story, it was threadbare by the end because, you know, I had family members' suicide. I had 
community members that we lost to suicide. In that dress, we buried a, a um a twenty eight year old a twenty eight day old baby. Mm. So that level of grief, most of which was unnecessary and could have been prevented if the right systems were put in place, the right supports. You know, and I and I I talk about my auntie, and these things are hard to talk about, but they need to be spoken about because when an Aboriginal woman dies, particularly through domestic violence, you don't see the same media coverage. And what does that say to me? And what does that say to my teenage daughter? Mm. Are our lives not valued the same? Mm. The other thing to that is my auntie was was killed by her partner who is an Aboriginal man. So instead of just being able to deal with the grief, we also had to deal with guilt, mm. the way that that is perceived in community as well. So I do share these things, Tom, as hard as they are, and each time I do it's giving a piece of myself to the public, but I do it in the hope that people understand that these things don't need to stay the same. We don't need to maintain these systems and structures that harm us. But the way that we deal with them is together. We have to deal with them together. So if only I'm aware of it and the public's not aware of it, then how do we get on the same page? So I do, I share it for a reason and um, and I hope that it actually just calls people to action and gives people the understanding that they need to get on board with this and and make these changes. You know, people sometimes say things like, oh, all these things, all these atrocities are in the past. No, they're not. We're feeling the effects of these things because it wasn't that long ago. Mm. We're still the generations feeling these effects. And if we're to stop those cycles, we need to heal, we need a period of truth-telling and we need to have a voice to, you know, to, to um, make representation on these matters. I mean, on that note, I mean, I'd be interested, what did you think of Jacinta Nabajinjua Price's comments uh, recently and during a national press conference address in which she was asked whether the impacts of colonization are still being felt by First Nations people today. And she said, she said no, right? She said no. Uh, First Nations people have running water, the implication being that those effects and the legacy of colonization um, have ended and they are no longer affecting the lives of First Nations people today. The implication being, of course, that the disadvantage that First Nations people face today is a, a failure of mindset um, or bordering on some pretty racist ideas. And I know that's a complicated thing to talk about a First Nations mm-hmm. woman rolling this out, but some First Nations, some racist ideas which imply that culturally or racially, you know, First Nations people are deficient and are to blame for their own problems. I mean, that was mm. a particularly ugly moment, I thought, in this campaign. What did, what did you think of Senator Price's comments there? Yeah, look, um, they're outrageous. And um, the thing is, she knows that. She knows that. She has seen these things with her own eyes. So all we can put that down to is yet another distraction. You know, we've got really important work that we're doing right now and Australians have a really important decision to make on the 14th of October. Unfortunately, 
we keep encountering these distractions. Uh, they're getting more and more ridiculous. That one, though, was particularly offensive. And, mm. you know, Warren Mundine talking about treaties and uh, Peter Dutton talking about extra referendums, those are all things we can sort of laugh off and call, call it out for what it is. It's a distraction, <laughs> it's ridiculous, moving on. Unfortunately, what... Um, what Jacinta said was very hurtful mm. to a lot of people. So as well as being ridiculous, it actually was very upsetting for particularly our elders. You know, it just really takes away from their lived experience, um, really minimises things that people are still trying to get through and try to heal from. Um, so, yeah, a very low moment and... Mm. Um, I am very concerned for an Aboriginal woman who could make comments like that when she knows it's not right. You know, that's just no campaign is worth lying about those sort of things that are so terribly serious. And then, you know, look, I just don't even feel like I want to give it any time. But if you, if you because I know, I know your listeners are going to um, already know better, but, you know, because we, we know that, we're still feeling the effects of colonisation. And to say, oh, great, everyone's got running water. Well, she knows that's not even true. Yeah, Jesus. That's Her mother at one point made sure of that. Oh, my lordy. Um, all right, just uh, just briefly uh, want to move through some other points, particularly around the politics of the, uh, of the Voice campaign. This is a Greens-adjacent podcast of a Greens member. As is Emeralds, we look at things through the prism of green politics more broadly and the activities and wins and losses and actions of the Australian Greens. What, what have you made of the Greens' um, approach to the Voice position as a political party? It's obviously been a little bit messy and uh, we basically lost a senator over it and on this podcast we still respect or are interested in what Lydia Thorpe has to say but we parted company on this particular question. And now, you know, Greens are Dorinda Cox, our First Nations Justice spokesperson, and the party more broadly is encouraging ES vote and trying to get out there to campaign. What, what have you made of that journey of, of how the Greens have come to, to come on board with yes? Oh, look, it's um, I, I'm I'm glad to um, be in good company. You know, um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it, it was a, a messy start, um, but I think even that, you know, that was a real learning experience for everyone and it gave it gave air to different perspectives and you know in some of those those perspectives um you know and concern for treaty and sovereignty and all of those things they did need to be given airtime mm. um you know they were important considerations when now that we've received you know extensive advice on those things and we've had time to unpack all of those things and feel very confident very confident beyond a doubt that our so this will not affect our sovereignty we know that treaty work is happening in many states we know that that work is going to continue and there is no transaction here where by getting a voice we stop that treaty work so I think once we were able to step through, for many of us, you know, to step through those important issues, and I feel like, you know, from from the outside watching what was going on with the Greens, I feel like that was a process that was taking place as well. And it was a simple, similar process that was happening in many Aboriginal households. 
right. working through those concerns. You know, will this take our sovereignty? Well, no, your, t- your sovereignty can't be taken by stealth. You actually have to give it up. So by getting a voice, you're not giving up sovereignty. It's not just going to disappear. I'm most certainly not going to wake up on the 15th of October and be less of a Gurang woman than I am right now. Hopefully, we'll be a Gurang nation with a voice, you know. Mm. So, um, but those things were important to work through. So, very, very appreciative of, you know, understanding of the process. Very happy that the Greens have come on board. And I think one of the really great things is, um, you know, this this is beyond politics. So, we're seeing support from the whole political spectrum, you know, we've we've got Greens out there loud and proud with us and we've got Liberals for yes and Teals have come out in big support, you know. Um, it's an interesting space. It's an interesting, <laughs> it's interesting thing interesting for me mix. to be part of in the campaign. You know, these are, yes. there's some people in this campaign that I wouldn't normally, that wouldn't normally be in my circle. Um so this is what I mean about there's been a lot of learning uh, for everybody. <laughs> but I would hope that the main takeaway from that for people is that, look, this isn't politics. This is about people. Um, it's not about who you normally vote for. We've got to move away from that. You know, so I get, I do get frustrated when people are like, oh, I don't like Labor and this is a Labor thing. It's not a Labor thing. Mm. Yeah. Our Prime Minister has gotten us to a point where we can go to a referendum and that's greatly appreciated. But this proposal has come from a majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And, you know, and that's not even, that didn't start in 2017 either. You know, this didn't just come from those who endorsed the Uluru Statement. This is like we've been asking for a voice since the 20s, you know, standing up representative bodies, petitioning kings and queens, you know, trying all different ways to be heard. And I can tell you, you know, years of working in remote communities, I'd I'd sit down and I'd be in Arnhem somewhere and I'd say, oh, I'm going to Canberra next week. What, you know, want me to send a message? What do you want to, what would you say if you were going to Canberra? I want to be heard. You know, people want to be heard. They want a say like everybody does. You know, but particularly a group of people who have been so harmed by government policy. You know, it was within my my dad's lifetime that that government could tell Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people where to live, what you know, there's been curfew set, there's boundary streets that literally told people where they could and couldn't be at certain times, you know, who you can marry, force you to work for rations, you know, so as a people who have been so heavily affected by government mm. policy, it makes sense that we want to have a say in it. Yeah. So, yeah, back to your original question. Very glad that the Greens are with us. Um, we're seeing an increase of, um, you know, active movements from all different sorts of, of um, areas of politics. And, um, and I think, you know, the Greens understand, and you know, again, this is just something I've observed from the outside, is that understand the value of listening to Indigenous voices. So when we talk about things like climate and fire management and and um, 
you know, like the things that are happening up in the Torres Strait um, with waterways and, and things like that, like there is an understanding that people who are living, who have lived this experience, who have, who are the experts in some of these things, uh, mm. need to be heard. So that, that has uh, led to this, what has been dubbed this progressive no vote. We had Bo Spearham on the podcast before. There's been lots of um, First Nations people, particularly from the more radical Aboriginal politics tradition um, uh, that are, d- define themselves or have signed up to this idea of a progressive no vote. You have the Aboriginal tent embassy as well, expressing scepticism and some groups like Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance who are, yes, certainly within the Greens orbit and my co-host Emerald Moon is set on the balance of probabilities she will be voting yes, but has been listening, I suppose, to to local folks in Mianjin who are pretty critical of this idea and who think that a yes vote and establishing this voice either won't deliver the outcomes that it says it will or does something bad, like sets people backwards uh, some way. Putting aside all the terrible no stuff that, as you said, we can laugh at and some of it we can dismiss as out, outright racism and who, who don't have the best interests of First Nations people at heart. Then, how, do, how do you approach and navigate the idea of talking to progressive no voters within your own community or with First Nations community or other people that you've crossed paths with, um, people who are progressive broadly and want good things for First Nations people and believe in First Nations justice but are critical and actually think that a yes vote will, won't help in, in that cause? Mm, okay. Sorry. I have, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I have friends that fall into this category. Right. And we generally share a lot of common ground, right, but on this we disagree. Now I feel like there's two parts to this camp. Progressive knows what I have copped a lot lately is well-meaning perhaps uh, non-Indigenous progressive voters. We're really getting to the labels, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's and that's gotten a bit yuck because those conversations have really come across with you know a bit of a savior complex. Right. There's an overwhelming majority of Indigenous people asking, requesting that people vote yes, requesting that we get voice treaty truth through the Uluru Statement from the heart. We've asked for this. We've designed this. And like I said before, this is off the back of decades of work of our elders. Mm. So I do find it hard to swallow when I've got non-Indigenous people telling me that this isn't what mob want Mm. and telling me things like, oh, go out to a remote community and you'll find out that elders don't want this. And I'm thinking, gee, that's really different to what was said at the Barunga festival where many Northern Territory Indigenous leaders came out in support again for this. Um, It is very different to the experience that I have had sitting in Arnhem Land and Central Australia talking about this stuff and hearing directly from people that that lack a voice. So that that one I'm finding hard to deal with, Tom, because um, here we are being very specific about what we want and it feels like once again we're being told what's good for us yeah. and it, that's that's kind of ironic right the other part to this though is you know my indigenous brothers and sisters saying this isn't enough that what i can relate to a little bit more but what i'll say to that mm. is we do not have 
the luxury to sit back and wait any longer. We cannot indulge in that, you know, waiting for something perfect. You know, I, I um, had a, a conversation with a friend who who is in the progressive no camp and we want the same thing. And he would argue that incremental progress is not enough. But I would argue that incremental progress, steady, consistent progress in the right direction, that's that's helpful. That is tangible. That is something. Mm. That for me, you know, to sit back and just, it, it's easy to fling mud at something but not come up with an alternative. Like what I'm not hearing is a reasonable alternative because the idea of just, Burning it all down. Like where does that leave us? Mm. Who is that going to help? I think that, you know, when we got through, we we got the advice and we know that this is not going to affect our sovereignty, we know it's not going to stop any treaty work, being heard on the matters that affect us, why would you not do that? Mm. Don't understand why anyone would not want that opportunity Um, I do understand a healthy and justified mistrust of government. I get that. So when people say that to me, I'm like, absolutely. That's why I want an independent advisory committee. I want our mob to be able to keep an eye on things, make representations, you know, get rid of the things that aren't working and and put in the things that will. So um, Mm. for me, it's, it's definitely the way forward and, I would challenge anyone, anyone in this progressive no camp who are saying this isn't enough, will tell me what your solution is. Right. You know, and if it's an immediate one, I'll get straight on board. But right now I'm not (laughs) going to wait the 20 to 30 years that experts are saying it will take. You know, even Lydia says it's going to take about 20 to 30 years to get Treaties sorted. I'm not going to wait an undetermined amount of time for an undetermined outcome. Mm. When our people are dying now, when we've got Mm. in the Northern Territory, 100% of the youth detention centre are Aboriginal kids. Mm. And that figure's doubled recently. You know, Mm. the the Bail Act um, got amended and we saw an increase of, of the amount of kids that are detained. Well, we're dealing with stuff like that. And like I said at the beginning, well, we're dealing with statistics that indicate my kids will go to prison, not uni. No, I'm not going to sit around and wait another 20 or 30 years before I take action. I'm taking action now. Yeah, that's very well put. And I assume you would have a similar-ish response to someone like myself. I would place myself in the a more critical yes camp, right? I will be voting yes. I'm encouraging other people to vote yes. That's that's. I'm very happy to, to sign up to that um, with a, a level of healthy skepticism, knowing the history of First Nations bodies and voices being ignored by various governments and by appreciating the fact that you're in a a broader political picture here, which is, you know, that is, it is easy to imagine the voice being established, the voice giving advice, which goes against the political interests of a certain government of the day. And that voice, unfortunately, particularly advice on a certain issue being, uh, being ignored. And what would require to get the things that the voice is talking about is greater struggle, is more politics, is more activism, is a, is a broader fight. I think in your piece for the Australian, you sort of say, look, the voice is not going to fix everything and anyone presenting it as that fact, um, yeah, is it, is it being um, genuine when they say that? But 
citing other examples that you've seen in your life in the Northern Territory when Black-led solutions, when Black voices are listened to, when First Nations people are able to inform the kind of solutions and policies that affect their own lives, you do actually get better outcomes. Um, and if there's a chance that establishing this voice for a long time can deliver something like that, even at the edges, that's certainly worth doing. And the case for no getting us closer to those kind of outcomes or getting us closer to treaty simply has not been made. Well, and that's the thing. So we do have, we have the examples of where it does work. We know it works and it's common sense. Like we all know, and even in our professional lives or our personal lives, if we're in a decision-making position, if you get good advice, if you've got good advice when you're making decisions, you know the outcome's going to be better. And one of the things I do want to really highlight is the power in this, it is people power. It's been very easy to silence 3% of the population right but mm. if we if we've stood up this advisory committee called a voice it means that the majority of voting Australians have said they want us to be heard so you know for a government to then not listen that it's not just silencing us it's silencing a majority of Australian voters and I just don't think that's smart I you know I think there'll be a lot more consideration around that they won't be Mm. too quick to do that um so I think there is real power in that um and I also think like let's not forget that we've come together on this journey so having a unified nature just completely change a nation it completely changes the landscape in which these decisions are made in which these programs and policies are, are developed um, eyes will be on this for the right reasons. Yeah. If I can quote you again, I thought this was another great piece from uh, extract from the Australian piece. The Indigenous community across Australia is diverse. There are different needs and cultures, different contexts and approaches, and so they need different solutions. But there is one common theme. When mob are heard on matters that affect us, the outcomes are better. When people are given autonomy and the ability to decide on the things that impact their lives, it works. The voice will not solve everything, but it is a step on the path towards real change. It is working with communities in a genuine way to address the systemic issues that have affected Indigenous people for more than 200 years, which I thought was pretty good. Now, uh, we're going to wrap up soon, and this has been fantastic, Jade. Thank you very much. Something I would be interested in your thoughts on is the what I believe to be the fundamentally anti-democratic nature of these referenda that we have in this country. So I've, I've done a show, I've written a show called Yes, No, which is a comedy lecture about the history of referenda that we've done ahead of the October 14th um, referendum. And of course, there's been a number of occasions in which we've had a referendum to change the constitution. The majority of Australians have voted yes, but because of this double majority bullshit in which four out of the six states need to say yes, and the territories aren't counted in that total, which is also disenfranchising First Nations people, particularly in the Northern Territory, which is uh, outrageous. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, yeah, I, I be, I've thought about what if that is the outcome? What if most Australians vote yes, but because of this insane double majority requirement, um, the voice is defeated? I, I wonder if you've turned your mind to that possibility and what you think about it. Look, it's another system that was not set up with us in mind. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, look, it is disheartening, uh, particularly, you know, being that I'll be voting in the Northern Territory. Right. The thing is, look, let's just let it inspire us to all do that a little <laughs> bit more because be it better. is bloody hard. Um, yes. 
it's not fair, it's not great. But what I keep saying to my family and friends in the Northern Territory, like, yes, we miss out on the second vote, but we are strategically important because Australia is looking at us to see how we're voting. Um, and I think that has been the truth in a lot of cases. So, look, it it's it's hard. It's it's really hard, but it can be done. And what I think about is just for a minute, picture in 1900 when they were writing the Constitution, like just have a think about who was around the table, right? These guys didn't want to make it easy for us to change it. Oh, my goodness. Like what, yeah. women and black people deciding things? <laughs> you know, that would have been no, unheard you. of in 1900. <laughs> But look, yeah, yes. they've left us with quite the task. But it, the way it's going to be done is just simply through conversation, getting people into this, you know, and, and I, I said to you before about people thinking they have to stay in their lane. This is everybody's lane. This is a movement of the Australian people. And I've talked to some, you know, gorgeous, well-meaning people going, well, I don't feel right Uh voting about things that, you know, for Aboriginal people, it do, you know, it doesn't affect me, I shouldn't have a say. Mm. Yeah, generally I might agree with that, but <laughs> on this occasion yeah. uh, we actually need everybody to do their bit because, yes, getting a double majority is super hard. We take no state and no vote for granted, so that's why we're out there because, like, 40,000 volunteers active, you know, out there, and, it, like, that number just keeps growing. But yeah, I just I would hope that everyone is thinking of how they can have these conversations, who they can have the conversations with. I think I've pretty much turned the entire taxi company to yes voters, uh, just on my trips to the airport. But you know, just <laughs> really though, get out there and and change hearts and minds and talk to people about why this is important because we need every single vote. The other thing, uh, you know, while you've given me this opportunity to call people to action. Mm. You know, visibility. People want to be confident that they're doing the right thing. And sometimes that means they need to see other people that they love and trust doing it. So, you know, wearing a yes t shirt, being loud and proud, like something about our culture, our shared Australian culture has told us that we're not allowed to tell people how we vote. Mm. No, that's bullshit. Tell people how you're voting, if you're voting yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, like it's, it's important to you're build voting that. voting no, keep it on the DL. Keep that shit to yourself. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't brag about that. Um, but, no, absolutely, like be really loud about this because this is our moment in history, our generation. This is, this is the opportunity we have to do something really important and really good. So let's be mm. proud about it. Let's be visible Want to throw out a challenge for the creatives out there? Like, what can you do to get visibility on this? Um, we're trying to run a really respectful and positive campaign. And, you know, we're all about the walks and the concerts and the unification, getting people together. Um, so, you know, that's what we want to see more of because, you know, this is, this is our moment. Yes23.com.au is the official website. If you want to join that army of volunteers, find out more of stuff. There's also a bunch of social media assets and those kind of, you know, um, cool, important, but, you know, symbolic things that you can do to increase that visibility that Jade's talking about there. Um, look, thanks for spending this time with us on the show and laying it all out. And thanks for your positivity and for keeping up the fight. Um, I know, again, for some people on the left, probably some people listen to this 
our podcast. This issue is either complicated or overshadowed by some other stuff that's going on at the moment. But I, I think it's really important as we're so close to the big date in what could be a massive political moment. Um, well, will be a politi- massive political moment for Australia either way. But, uh, you know, could could be a, a victory for a broadly more progressive Australia on October the 14th. I think it was, um, yeah, really great to have the conversation with you. And thanks very much for talking to me, Jade. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Enjoy England. Thanks. I'm coming home. I'm coming home now. <laughs> I'm right sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> I came here believing that uh, the no was a, a strong possibility, but having met, met Dan and Ed, they've convinced me otherwise, and I'm delighted that I'm I have changed my no to yes. What, for you, what's the value of that one-on-one conversation? Uh, the having a chance of one on one gives you a deeper understanding. You get it from the horse's mouth. And uh, so, two great horses and great mouths. <laughs> Thanks, Jade Ritchie. I thought that was a really great conversation and important. Yes23.com.au. Again, I want to acknowledge that perhaps not everybody uh, involved in this podcast <laughs> or more broadly involved in the Greens or the broader left movement. People have complicated feelings about how enthusiastic they are about yes, about the referendum itself. But I think, as I guess Jade and I were trying to lay out there, we reckon that this is an opportunity. You can't really vote yes with an asterisk. It's kind of, you know, we have this binary choice under our fucked up anti-democratic constitutional change system. And I think on balance, yes, it's a much better outcome. So if you want to get involved with the campaign, yes23.com.au. I'm touring my show, Yes, No, a, a comedy lecture about changing our constitution uh, to the Melbourne Fringe and are doing a one-off show in Sydney. The Canberra show has already happened by the time you hear this. Thanks, Canberra, for coming, if you did. Um, but I'm doing five shows at the Melbourne Fringe Festival and I'm doing one show on Tuesday, October the 10th in Sydney at uh, the Grand Electric. All the details will be in the show notes if you want to come along and check it out. And I'm happy to give away free tickets. I've got four double passes to give away to my show in Melbourne on any night that you like from the Wednesday to Sunday or on Tuesday, October the 10th in Sydney. I've got three double passes to give away. It's first come, first served. If you want to come along, just email email hello at seriousdangerpod.com. Hello at seriousdangerpod.com is the place to email and just say, hey, I'd like one of those double passes, please. And I'll be in touch to arrange. I love having danger heads at my comedy shows. And if you're interested in this conversation and more broadly about Australian politics and our fucked up constitution, I think you'll like the show. Thank you to The Griff for producing a big funny and thank you for listening. Remember, go to seriousdangerpod.com for all your serious danger needs. We'll be back with more Patreon apps next week and a weekly app. Stay safe, everybody. Stay free, as Russell Grant says. Stay free. This is Serious Danger Australia.